The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife. Save the environment. Save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. I began last week's episode that I was about to attend the 30th anniversary celebration and international conference of the Performing Animal Welfare Society. Pause. I also stated last week that I'm an opinionated and informed person that, and that I'm also flexible. I have to be to do the work I do and especially to open my eyes and yours to take in shifts and possibilities that lie ahead of us. I also have to be flexible because today I'm talking to you via landline because I suddenly realized my internet connection was down. So bear with me. I'm not used to speaking on the phone. I'm used to having my headset. But as we head up to the future and towards stepping outside my and many others' comfort zones, and as hard as it is to think about, to accept, and to acknowledge, It's a good thing to do, to be flexible. For when we do, we are able to widen our scope and our worldview. And thus, this is how we are enabled to, we are able to increase the pace of the paradigm shift we are setting in motion. That uncomfortable perch on the horns of dilemma when it comes to how we perceive the other earthlings who inhabit this world and to stay focused on what we can do. So, before going further, I think I should back up a bit and also state that some of my long-held opinions were in much need of a facelift. New information required re-evaluation. The main one I'm discussing here, of course, is, or shall I say, was, my view of the growing animal rights, animal welfare, mind shift, and movement. This is not to say I did not think animals have rights or deserve our attention to their welfare, but I had a stereotype in my head. I felt the more we focused on the plight of singular individual animals, we were fracturing the larger picture. But the astonishing scope of information presented at the PAWS conference helped me understand much better what what lives under the umbrella of animal rights and animal welfare and how closely this movement and mind shift is and will promote and is deeply connected to and will have extremely positive effects as to what happens in the very near future to our wild places and wildlife. Again, this is not to say I felt there was no relationship, but I tended to see the negative side as to the challenges it presents to large landscape species survival plans, which have, through our history, been rather unsentimental. We love nature, but nature is not sentimental. It does not love us back. Nature is often the very force that kills us. And to live with and protect Earth, we do need a better understanding of how all things in nature works. And that often requires putting the emotional response aside and dig into the scientific understanding to grow our knowledge base as to how we have in the past and will need in the future to manage wild places. As an aside here, I'd like to say that I wish we didn't have to manage nature and wildlife and wild places at all. But because there are getting to be so many of us, we are forcing the natural, untrammeled wild world into smaller parcels, thus pressure on simply maintaining our current wildlands 
and our wild neighbors has intensified. I would like to see management plans that include the reduction of our species, but that's a very touchy subject, isn't it? For man has grown and created all in his image. Our modern mentality and major belief systems sustain that man is sacred and holds court and favor from, from both gods and politicians more than anyone else. Oh, excuse me, I digress. I will refrain from that subject here today and rant, and rant on that for another time and another place. Suffice to say, again, nature abhors a vacuum. It is all about life and balance. When titled, When Tilted Out of Kilter, Nature Releases Her Secrets, often not to the benefit of one particular species, us. As we manipulate, populate, develop, and pave over critical buffer zones between us and the elements we so dearly wish to conquer, well, we tend to be the losers. I just hope that sooner, rather than later, we see that when we live in balance, things work out much better for everyone and everything. So, as I was saying, I grew up in the wilds and gravitated to the wild side of conservation, which is what I have focused most of my life doing, protecting some of our last remaining wild places and its wild inhabitants. And Africa, it is still one of the last places on Earth where unique endemic indigenous flora and fauna thrives, and where people, after all, it is the cradle of mankind, people, in general, have always and continue to coexist, not necessarily peacefully, for, or the favorite of terms, in harmony, but coexist and co-evolve, they most certainly do. But that's changing rapidly, as globalization, westernization, industrialization, and exploitation for diminishing and rare resources becomes a race and a political competition to the highest bidder. Rather than go on off, off on a rant about that again, I'll just peruse, I would like you to just peruse previous episodes and topics in this program's archives. There are other wild places, of course, but what can I say? I was once asked, why Africa, when there is need for so much help right here, or India, or Haiti? How come you don't give when there's a hurricane, a tsunami, a disease outbreak? I said, we each have our passion and calling, and mine is Africa. I'm doing what I can. Why don't you tell me what you're doing? Well, you can imagine how that conversation went. So, to get back on track, I have always been an animal lover. At age 16, I stopped eating meat because I didn't want an animal to die. That was fine enough reason for a youngster, when that was typically heard around the average middle-class family dinner table was, eat your food, clean your plate. There are starving children in China or India or Africa. You name it, there seemed to be starving children everywhere. But where I lived, it didn't make sense to me, this inequity of world food distribution. Then I read Diet for a Small Planet, and that was that. I stopped eating meat. I stopped eating animals. It was only as I grew up, went to college, joined the larger world, that I learned the deeper reasons why eating animal protein is such a waste of everything. Did you know it takes up to 30 pounds of grain to produce just one pound of animal protein meat, that fish on fish farms must be fed up to five pounds of wild-caught fish to produce one pound of farmed fish flesh, that it takes more than 11 times as much fossil fuel to make one calorie from animal protein as it does to make one calorie from plant protein. Do the math and simply add up the energy-intensive stages of raising animals for food. One, grow massive amounts of corn, grain, and soybeans with all the required tilling, irrigation, crop dusters, etc. Two, transport the grain and soybeans to feed manufacturers on gas-guzzling 18-wheelers. Three, operate the feed mills, again, requiring massive energy expenditures. Four, transport the feed to the factory farms, again, in gas-guzzling vehicles. Five, operate the factory farms. Six, truck the animals many miles to slaughter. Seven, operate the slaughterhouse. Eight, transport the meat to processing plants. Nine, operate the meat processing plants. Ten, transport the meat to grocery stores. Eleven, keep the meat refrigerated or frozen until it's sold. That doesn't even include the waste of what isn't sold. 
Now that's the just now that's just the grain and energy part of eating meat. Then there's water, not an unlimited resource either. Between watering the crops that farmed animals eat to providing drinking water for billions of animals each year, to cleaning away the filth that results from factory farms, transport trucks, and slaughterhouses, nearly half of all water used in the United States goes to raising animals for food. It takes more than 2,400 gallons of water to produce one pound of meat, while growing one pound of wheat only requires 25 gallons. You save more water by not eating a pound of meat than you do by not showering for six months. I grew up being taught respect and responsibility for our environment by spending much of my childhood outside, literally out of doors. Now we call it recreation, and it's a luxury for the well-to-do. But for me, it was a lifestyle that was necessary and encouraged by my parents, my grandparents, and my family's family's families, and my peers. It was just the way things were back then. Looking back, I see how privileged I was that my family often took meandering road trip vacations through untrammeled places. My dad, an adventurer and a small plane pilot. Today, I'd call him a bush pilot. He loved camping and traveling through wide open spaces. He was a hunter, and we'd eat what he killed. On one trip traveling through Wyoming, we stopped on a whim at a dude ranch, which became more of our second family and home as we grew up. The ranch was also a working cattle ranch and, in season, a hunting camp. Every summer, we traded school clothes for cowboy boots. We grew up there, being ranch hands and helping new arrivals learn to leave the city behind and enjoy the outdoors, mostly by horseback and mostly in the backwoods of Yellowstone. The ranch is still there and pretty much the same, still run by descendants of the same family. My appreciation for our wild world was instilled by my family in simpler times, when arts and beauty were what nature provided, not just what man made. So now we fast forward into a new millennium and a whole new world that came with it. From Y2K to Wi-Fi, we watch nature TV beamed from critter cams and technology that gets us where no man has been before. Yet we live more and more like sardines packed into cans or rats in a cage. We know from studies carried out in our early discoveries what happens when a species overpopulates its home. War, disease, breakdown of societies and its governing systems. So instead, watch our, instead of watching historical recre- recreations and futuristic fantasies, versions on a theme of apocalypse, zombies living in a post-Holocaust genocidal or disease-ridden world, where machines are the only ones who are able to survive in the dead atmosphere and burned-out surface of the Earth. We watch this with some sort of eager fascination while thinking it's only science fiction. Well, remember reading Ray Bradbury or Arthur C. Clarke? In some cases, we have turned science fiction into fact. What concerns me today, these days, is that our children, even our young adults, and many adults, are not getting out and interacting with nature, not getting out of the urban landscape into green spaces. I understand that not everyone has the opportunity or the means to go to wild places, but we have national parks and heritage sites in just about every state. What concerns me is that we are replacing the wild and natural experience with that of the manipulated and captive experience and pretending that this is nature. From life unimaginable to imagined life digitally recreated, strewn across the ether and world wide web, and social networks and information overload at the press of a button, which has had an unfortunate side effect of providing too much escape and treating our Earth and each other as something to be entertained by or to turn away from because the reality is that for all that has changed, so much has remained the same. Man's inhumanity to man and our continued and even surpassed inhumanity to nature and all life as we rush to consume ourselves and our earth until death. We are captivated by our imaginings, and underneath all that, we are the captors of the immensity of life around us, that, there is, that it is there for us and us alone, no matter the cost in lives. So now I return to the PAUSE conference. Pause, performing Animal Welfare Society, and the three-day conference bringing together a global audience to focus on the cascade of issues 
that results from keeping wildlife captive. The abuse, the cruelty, and the misuse and the difference in mindset of how we relate to animals. In our quest to have, own, be entertained by, and want to see anything and everything at our fingertips, we seek to also own the wild. And as a result, we often love it to death. Captive wildlife. To me, that is an oxymoron, for the animals we see in captivity are but mere representatives of their wild cousins. But let's stop and consider who these captives are and where they live, and know that we are their captors. So, on that note, we're going to take a short break, and we'll come back. Stick with us. This is Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G Streaming live The leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World We want to hear from you Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. Right before the break, I was talking about captive wildlife, and that it's such an oxymoron to me. In my work, I focus on the wild side and wildlife welfare. I often simply didn't consider the crises we have created on the captive captive side. Stop for a minute and think about how many animals we hold in captivity. Zoos, aquariums, adventure theme parks, exotic pets, Las Vegas stage acts, motion picture entertainment, Think Flipper, the MGM Lion, SeaWorld, Disney, San Diego Wild Animal Park, or the roadside stand where you can have your picture taken with a cute little lion or tiger cub. South Africa and the tourist industry pay to play with taking care of orphan lions, who often whom those lions end up in canned hunts, or Texas, trophy hunting for that matter. Think of your local zoo. The announcement of the new baby animals. Remember the polar bear cubs at the Denver Zoo or the pandas when the finally alive birth in captivity was accomplished? For that matter, do you hear much about pandas at all these days? Look at YouTube videos or our fixation with reality TV animal shows. I survived when animals attack. Call of the Wildman. From humble beginnings of Mutual of Omaha's Animal Kingdom to Crocodile Hunter, Steve Irwin, and Jeff Corwin. Most of these programs are staged, but we crave them, don't we? We want to touch the wild. We want to get close. 
we want to have the animals. How often do you go to the zoo and see an animal pacing back and forth in its cage and say, oh, I want one? We want to touch the wild. Animal Planet's motto, surprisingly human. Where do you think these animals come from? Where do you think the cubs in the zoo go once they're too big and too expensive to keep and not enough room to keep them? There is a serious captive wildlife crisis going on. This has resulted in exposés of horrendous abuse and cruelty, from our factory food farms to roadside attractions. Remember the Zanesville, Ohio Animal Massacre, where the owner let loose all his captive exotic animals and then committed suicide? How was such a scenario even able to happen? Where were our federal agencies who are tasked to keep track and license these animals and provide the permitting process? What were they doing that such a ubiquitous abuse is allowed to continue in this day and age? Well, it's easy. Surprisingly easy. How many of you, my listeners, have seen an elephant in the wild? Now, how many at your nearby zoo? Or when you visit a place, one of the attractions on your things to see, list to do, included a visit to the local wild animal theme park. Do we really stop to consider the lives of these animals? That they are captive. They do not have a choice in how to live their daily lives. Every moment of their day, including their sleep time, is closely monitored and manipulated by us, their keepers, their captors. One, oh, the many ways we can convince ourselves that this is all okay. How many of us have heard that animals in the zoo live longer and better lives? That in the wild, they would have had to fight for survival, but here, under our so-called care, we tend to their very every need and ensure to their health and safety. Now go do a web search for how many incidents have happened where a captive animal, a circus elephant or lion or bear has injured a person and has had to be shot. It's a lot more than you want to know about and that's just it. These incidents are covered up or twisted by the PR machine to be something other than what it really was. Blackfish, the movie, is a fine example. There are two other excellent examples, documentaries. One is Cat Dancers, about a Las Vegas entertainment couple who kept big cats, and eventually the cat killed one of the couple, his wife, and eventually scarred him for life. It's an amazing documentary, and I strongly suggest watching it. It outlines very closely our relationship to keeping wild animals, how much we love them, and that we think they love us back. Do they? The other documentary I strongly suggest is The Elephant in the Living Room, about a game warden, animal control officer, who had to continually deal with the complaints from neighbors about a man's captive big cats, or dealing with captive exotics when they got loose and started roaming around neighborhoods. These are the ideas and the issues that we have to deal with that we don't want to think about until we, us humans, our lives, our children at the bus stop, seem to be put in danger. Read about how many animals have escaped from zoos, how many people have died in zoos when they've fallen into animal enclosures and not paid attention to the signs. Do not climb the walls. Do not feed the animals. This is for a reason. Also, remember Siegfried and Roy? Their story ended pretty much when the tiger they purchased through captive breeders attacked and injured Roy during a performance, and and audience members were put at risk. You don't see much about that anymore, do you? That's just it. Until the public is somehow put at risk, the captive animal crisis remains behind the curtain, under the big top, and behind bars. Pause, the Performing Animal Welfare Society. That means there was a need for someone to come forward and care for the animals who were being used to perform perform in movies, in circuses, in theme parks. Blackfish, the sad story of Tillicum, and the travesty and truth behind SeaWorld and every other dolphinarium and seaquarium around the world. At pause, I was honored to meet the producer of the film Blackfish, who simply wanted to make a great movie. They had no idea the storm that would come as a result and the awareness that would be raised 
across the world as a result of learning how these orcas that are kept in captivity were wild-caught, how they were treated, and the conditions they live in at the sequariums. This is changing. Dolphinariums are being banned. Circuses are being banned. Petitions are going around like wildfire to stop captive animals and performing animals in circuses. Let's consider a very important distinction, the difference between a zoo and sanctuary. It is the belief that zoos are an imprisonment of animals for our entertainment, while sanctuaries actually help animals who are endangered or who can't survive in the wild or have been abused in zoos or captivity. Zoos actually buy, sell, and even capture animals and tend to overbreed animals as well for the general general public to see. That's us. Zoos also sell animals to canned hunting groups to get killed, and and they sell to circuses too. A sanctuary does not do any of these things besides rescue animals that can't survive or have been totally abused or living in social circumstances outside what they need, and sanctuary cares and sees to those needs. The biggest thing a sanctuary can do is provide space and choice where an animal has a habitat that's large enough to, uh, for it to care for its needs and the choice of what to do and when. It is not on display for our entertainment. It is there to live out its life in peace as it chooses. Now let's consider CITES, the Convention of International Trade of Endangered Species. That implies a legal trade, of which there is a whole lot more than meets the eye. Where do zoos get their animals? Before they switched their company line to environment and providing seed stock for genetic lines and educational ambassadors for the wild, these animals were wild caught. Where do you think the majority of elderly elephants from circuses and zoos come from? They come from the culls of elephants, the wholesale killing under the term or guise of landscape and species management. From South Africa, Southwest Africa, and elsewhere in Central and Sub-Saharan Africa. The family herds would be shot to death in minutes, except for the babies. They would be tied to a dead elephant and then transported en masse and sold to the highest bidder for the circus and the zoo. And we wonder why we see rampaging elephants who have a long memory, are highly social, complex beings, and we wonder why they get upset when maltreated. This brings up the whole issue of the bull hook and the process today to ban the bull hook. If we can ban the bull hook, the tool that we humans use to dominate and control an animal that weighs 6,000 pounds, then we can start at the beginning. We begin to change the system, and get rid of circuses. So I would ask all my listeners to sign petitions, look, research, and understand why performing animals is not something we need to get them out of captivity and to get them into sanctuary. Now let's add in the wholesale slaughter of elephants for the ivory trade and the funding of terrorist activities. Have you seen the John Stewart Daily Show, Tusky Business? If not, check it out. This is finally hitting the big time, showtime, pride time, but it's been going on for decades. Why does it take so long for animal-oriented tragedy, wild and captive, to capture the hearts and minds and advocacy of us people? Now consider all the captive animals in private menageries, not just here in the U.S., but, all, but in all those countries where wealth is displayed by exotics. The call to help zoo animals left the devastated in war zones. The black market and illegal trade in live animals for their parts in so-called traditional medicinals. This is a huge issue, my friends. Captive wildlife, illegal trade in live animals, and then we have the legal trade in live animals. And who is making these decisions about these lives? We are. They're captors. Go do a search of the Colton Tigers and the so-called Sanctuary Tiger Rescue. This travesty took years to come to the attention of our federal agencies. Look for the upcoming documentary, 39 Tigers, by a group called Tigers for America. 
I met these wonderful people, Bill Newmy, Tim Mayer, and Jeff, Jeremy Mayer, at uh, the PAWS conference, and I was astonished because I had known about the Colton Tiger travesty. The title, 39 Tigers, refers to the 39 of hundreds of tigers that survived. The rest, the hundreds, what happened? They were euthanized on the spot at the rescue and seizure of the tigers, where carcasses of more than 90 dead tigers were found, some still tethered and chained in cages and the ground and scattered around the premises, including 58 tiger cubs found stuffed in freezers, where they died, and the remains of several other exotics were found dead or in various states of decay and dying of malnutrition. This still happens, people. Do, do your due diligence. Go to a web search, take a look, and see how many animals we have in captivity, those that we know about by our recognized institutions and those that are suffering and living terrible lives in roadside zoo attractions. If you're on a road trip and you see a sign saying, have your picture taken with a cub, report it. Don't take a picture, report it. Or if you're going to go in and take a picture, send the picture in to our federal agencies. These places must be shut down. And this is just the captive animals in private hands, in so-called sanctuary. This doesn't take into consideration the untold number of exotics being traded around the world in the name of science research, zoos, med medicine, and circuses. Do you know how many elephants are moved around the world for captivity in just one year alone? 6,000. Do you know how many die while in our care? Several hundred. Why do we keep captives? What benefit does it provide for the animals? I've got a few reasons, at least the so-called reasons. Reason number one, education. The zoos put up nice fancy signs and spend a lot of money to tell you about this animal and what it does in the wild and where it lives. And while you watch it pace back and forth in its cage, of a replica of some falsified artifact of a habitat, and watch it do and perform stereotypical captive behaviors. This is not what this animal would do in the wild. Watch its eyes. They are but dead. They're living and they're walking dead. There's huge financial gains in the captive industry. Think of the zoos. Think of the circuses. Think of the performing shows in Las Vegas and theme parks. Think of the money at stake and buying the ticket to go see this. Think of all the noise, the activity, the sounds, the alarms, the bells, and think of the effect on the animals that you're watching. And that's reason number two, entertainment. We want to be entertained. How many times have you been to the zoo and watched people laugh and throw things at the animals in their cages? Why do we need to gather the attention of the animal we're looking at? That's what we do when we throw things at them or yell at them or tease. We want them to see us. We're looking at them, and for some reason in our human mind, we need to be recognized by them. Why? Reason number three, medical research. We perform a various multitude of experiments and science and I don't, unspeakable treatment to a variety of animals, animals from monkeys, chimpanzees, to rabbits, testing cosmetics, testing chemotherapy, and testing medical advances. But these animals are not humans. Why are we testing on animals when we should be testing on us? Yes, a chimp is 98% relative to us, 90, actually 96.2, but it's in that 1.8% that lies the difference. That's what makes us human, and that's where our family tree diverged. So why are we practicing medicine for humans on animals? Why do we need to test whether our cosmetic and makeup and lipstick doesn't harm an animal? because it does. What's going on in these laboratories is astonishing, abusive, and cruel. It should be stopped. There are so many animal-free products, animal-free ways to live, diets, vegan, that we really do not need to use animals in our food or for our industry. Okay, reason number four, ego. 
it makes us feel really good to be able to control this wild animal or this representative of its wild cousin, Siegfried and Roy again, or any number of animal attractions where people and animals interact. And keepers or captors make them do fun tricks for our entertainment. We're told that it's wild behaviors, that these happen in the wild, but my friends, they don't. When you see an orca with its mouth open in all these pictures, that's a feeding behavior. And in captivity, they jump to the surface of the pool with their mouth open because fish falls from the sky. In the ocean, fish does not fall from the sky. It comes from below. That is a captive behavior. Reason number five, food. So we use animals for our food chain and all down the line. So it's time for a break. Stick with me and I'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild. No life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. Thanks for sticking with me. Once again, I'm calling in by phone, so I don't have quite the same time cues, and I'm watching the clock while trying to talk live to you and my listeners and inform us about captive wildlife issues and that uncomfortable perch we're sitting on between the horns of dilemma, our relationship to our wild world and the animals in it that we keep for us. I was talking about many of the reasons of why we keep captives. So I started at reason number five, food. Or excuse me, I left off at reason number five, food. Okay, these aren't wild animals. It's cows, it's sheep, it's pigs, it's chickens. What are we doing when we are mass producing and industrializing living beings and treating them like unliving beings. Have you seen footage from Humane Society, undercover footage as they go in and document the abuse that happens to the animals in these places? And watch the people who take care of them. They're so-called caregivers. They're treated as poorly as they treat the animals. It's a vicious circle. It's a vicious cycle. When we stop treating animals as nothing and as something unliving, and we treat it just for the purpose of us on such a scale that it loses any personality. Well, 
we are losing our humanity in the same, at the same time. Reason number six, clothing, boots, shoes, leather belts, fur coats. Think about where our clothing come from. Think about watching the film Earthlings. It's a, not an easy film to watch, but it's certainly most important because animals are a part of our everyday living, and this film highlights just how much animals are a part of our everyday. Reason number seven, companionship. Okay, there is a line between those animals that have domesticated themselves to live with us, and I'm talking about cats and dogs. But then again, and maybe there's a line here, horses. But then again, they are living separate beings, and where is the line? What is that difference between how we think of our dogs and our cats. We know they have emotional, complex lives. Anybody who has a dog and a cat knows they're communicating with them. But where is the line between, let's say, horses and then elephants, lions, tigers, and bears? It's an interesting conundrum and an uncomfortable perch, how we separate one animal from another. I'm sure there are more reasons, but I have to say It infuriates me so much that I find it hard to dig further. It is hard to watch these documentaries, these exposés, but we need to because it is tragic and it is terrible. And if we don't watch it and we don't become familiar with what we are doing and we turn a blind eye, then it stays and it continues. What we have to do is find a way to reevaluate our relationship with the animals who live on this earth with us. Thus, the pause conference was an enlightening and educational awakening for me. Now, moving forward, how and what do we want to teach our children about animals? Don't you think it's only fair they know where their food comes from and what's in it, along with why do we need our kids to be little fashionistas with their Uggs sheepskin boots? Look that one up, my friends. Not animal-friendly, that's for sure. Ugh. Since we began walking upright and began to explore and conquer the earth, we inherited to the point we are now living in a world that is more impoverished beyond our comprehension, as we think we are now wealthier beyond belief. That all depends on which side of the tipping and swaying seesaw upon which you sit. Mammals unite us the world over, across seas to seas and continent to continent. They ruled the marine and terrestrial landscapes even while we were emerging from the forests to the grasslands. Elephants, whales, dolphins, and wolves, from umbrella species to apex and keystone species, they evolved as did we. We evolved alongside and took further steps to be where we are now which is a misguided thinking that we are the sole purpose of evolution. From born free to King Kong, we've had a complicated relationship to animals. The greatest and most famous classic adventure and part horror film of all time, King Kong, was made in 1933. Uh, Co-producers and directors, Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Shozak, both real-life adventurers and film documentaries, documentarians, excuse me, Conceived of the low-budget story of a beautiful, plucky blonde woman and a frightening, gigantic, 50-foot-8 monster as a metaphoric retelling of the archetypal beauty in the beast fable. From the script, lines are telling us today as they were then, when Denim, upon bringing King Kong to New York, tells the audience, who's squirming and terrified and thrilled in anticipation, and I quote, He was a king in the world that he knew, but he comes to you now as a captive. Then Driscoll, the scriptwriter, the screenwriter, whispers stage left, he was right. There is still mystery in this world, and we can all have a piece of it for the price of an admission ticket. We now have the digital technology to never use a live animal in film again. But as in King Kong, we are still using animals in the same abusive way, providing entertainment for the price of a rental digitally screened right into every living room learning nothing new about our relationship to animals as we bask in the amazing accomplishments of man's capability to create. What have we created? What are we teaching? Why is the moral of the story at the end of a chain of abuse? 
Why can't it be at the beginning and we take the next big step for man and a huge leap for mankind right here on Earth? Dolphinariums, animal theme parks, zoos, from sea to sea world, trophy to trophy hunt. Menageries to circus entertainment to zoos and its contemporary version, the wild animal park, which is sometimes difficult to interpret because the so-called mission of these entertainment methods has been spun like a top to fit the changing attitudes. But one attitude that seems to be running the show is ours, that we want to see, touch, feel, and hold animals, exotic animals. And we want to be entertained for them, by them for some strange reason. They feed our ego. Now we call it research and education. But if the animals could speak, their story would be very different. I wonder what the animals would research of us would say if they could speak. Should they have a university that we could attend, what would they tell us about their knowledge and experience of us? Are we as entertaining to them as keepers and wardens of our prisons? No matter which side of the fence we're on, we will be the deciding force of how the earth functions here forth. But do not be fooled that the earth will abide by our goals, for she has a completely separate set of courses she is teaching us, and still many surprises carried deep in her pockets. So here we stand today on the uncomfortable horns of dilemma. What are we going to to do to heal and affirm in humane ways our relationship to animals? Will we give them their freedom? And what does that freedom entail? What will it look like once we've made the shift to include other beings, other emotional lives, their social needs, and well-being as important as ours? Will we provide sanctuary and wildness in perpetuity for its own sake and for the sake of our humanity? The discomfort we feel is the sharp points biting our backsides as we balance between the bull and the bullshit. What survives us as in this climb down from the uncomfortable perch in the face of knowledge and knowing, all the years of research and data and just plain old common sense? What will be our legacy to them? From the singular track on one being's life to the confined woven fabric of life written across time for all to see and know, what will be the next chapters in our human-to-animal relationship? What will it look like? Or will it just be fodder for the next? zeitgeist? Or will we find a gestalt, follow our conscience that we know is right, or let's go so far as to call it common sense, the knowledge, the genuine knowing that we are but one of many sentient beings living on this giant organic spaceship, that our way of life is but one way out of a universe of choices, and in the end, in the cosmic sense, a brief, fierce battle toward coexistence. Our relationship to animals is complex and it's impossible to ignore. Will we find a peaceful coexistence? What wonderful things will happen when we get together in groups such as PAWS Conference, where a young woman came up to me and introduced herself. She was the same young woman I met outside the Ivory Crush in Denver and who eventually introduced me to her professor, Philip Tedeschi. Recall my conversations with him and Jim, Jim Pyle, at the Denver Institute of Human-Animal Connection, or those episodes with Mark Beckoff, Who Lives and Who Dies, Compassionate Conservation with Camilla Fox and Dr. Robert Crabtree, or the one with Ron Thompson, The Sledgehammer Effect. Many previous episodes on this program discuss the connection between us, our social fabric, and our human connection to both our urban wildlife and our companion animals, and where the two often intersect. There were the episodes with Dale Priest-Kelly and Kurdish Allsorts. Animal-assisted therapy is a recognized approach to healing disease and emotional illness. Look at the smile on a child's face, seeing her puppy or kitty for the first time. We humans love animals. So where is it along the line that this changes to where we have no problem putting them behind closed doors, abuse them so to put their flesh on our plates, or when that love turns dangerous and we find we must keep them captive in order to hold on to that love. Need further understanding? Look at our recent psychological history. We make headlines all the time. School shootings, children killing children, children having children. A social fabric that is breaking down, but we still depend upon the earth and animals in our everyday lives. From, com- com- excuse me, from companionship to caregiving 
the food we eat, the clothes we wear, and the medical promises in hopes for perpetual youth and free from disease, where, at the same time, we have more disease born from and animal-based vectors jumping across species lines to kill us. Nature does fight back, but it's not a concerted war. It is one of biology and echo debt. It's the holiday. It's the time of giving and opening, giving and opening our hearts and saying thanks. Let's lose the commercialist quest to consume and live up to some Madison Avenue or Wall Street hedge funder's worst dream. We are not, and even more so, our animals are not simply pork bellies to be traded by the power brokers on Wall Street or the cartels on the back streets of foreign cities. We do not need to become the walking dead, striking out at anything pretty and shiny that attracts our lascivious and wandering eye. We have, at every moment, an opportunity to do something ethical and create for change to bring us again in alignment with a value system that has value beyond the coin in your pocket and stock portfolio. We humans can demand more. Ring it out from every street corner. We are one world, and everything living thing on it has a right to life and not a life of captivity at our whim. So thank you. This is Ellie Weiss. I hope you take some time to research some of the points I brought up today and listen to some of our previous episodes, and stay tuned. A lot of guests coming up as my guest hosts will be speakers from the PAUSE conference, covering all the topics I talked about today. So follow us on Facebook. Uh, We're on Our Wild World, Wild Eyes Foundation, and Ellie Weiss. I post intriguing information, articles, and topics that relate to what I talk about on this program. So until next time, this is Our Wild World. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Oh, 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 o